You're listening to the FC Young Adult Podcast. Hope you're doing well. Welcome back into the podcast. We are walking through the thread of empires, kingdoms, and realms again. And the sub-thread that uh, we talked about this week as a church family is war. And if you're really interested in this and uh, just like the concept of war in Scripture, reconciling um, the Old Testament and war and violence and all of the things that happen in the Old Testament with the love and grace and mercy of Jesus in the New Testament— and yet the belief that the same God who was, is, and always will be. Um, I would really suggest going to faithchapel.cc, listening to the weekend message. Um, I also have some resources outside of our church family that I think would be really beneficial to you, some podcast books. Um, if that is something that you're interested in, please feel free to message the Instagram page. Um, the thing that we're going to talk about is one battle at one specific point in time by two people that changed the trajectory of a nation. So in under the, the umbrella of war, what we have is this specific battle. And um, it's the story of David and Goliath. And it's a story that so many of us grew up listening. It's the flannel board story or, you know, the, the kids ministry story that so many of us grew up with. But before we jump into that story and just like the meat of that message, I, I just want to speak into the confusion and some of the uncomfortable aspects of war. And some of these things Nate talks about, um, but I know that for young adults, and I know even for me specifically, who's just a little bit ahead of you guys, man, I I struggle with the concept of war. Because I think some of us view war as like a necessary evil, and some of us are committed to nonviolence, and some of us would hold an opinion that would sim- simply probably create a little bit of maybe passive observation, or maybe you're somewhere in between all of those things. And I think it's important that we understand that it's okay to hold all of those things in tension, that it's confusing and it's messy and it's violent and it's not something that any of us should prefer. And what we have to understand at the end of the day, and we're going to talk about this a lot next week when we talk about spiritual realms, is that we understand that human beings are not the enemy, that we are going to talk about the fact that in the, within the spiritual realm, we find the ultimate battle. Nate talks about that a little bit. We'll talk about that next week. But let us always land within the understanding that our enemy is not flesh and blood. That whether it's Russia or Ukraine or North Korea or our neighbor or our family or whatever it may be, that human beings, human beings are not our enemy and we have to do whatever we can to, to keep peace with the people in our lives. So as we talk about war and and um, these different things, I think it's really important that we keep those things in mind. So let's jump into this story, this battle between David and Goliath. The story starts with the Israelites and the Philistines standing across the valley of Elah. Um, there's a big valley in the middle. There's this ravine. And I don't know about you, but I always read the story growing up, um, thinking that I've kind of known or learned all of the things that is to learn from this, but the more you read scripture, the more you learn, and the more you look at context, the more you learn, and so it's important that we do that. And I always wondered, I always had this question, well, if Goliath was this massive, intimidating human being that the Israelites didn't want to come out and fight, and the armies of the Philistines are on one side, and the Israelites are on the other side, why didn't the Philistines, who knew that the Israelites were afraid to, to engage in battle, why didn't they just attack? And it's important that we understand that at the time, the Philistines were are, were viewed as a superior military force. One of the main reasons for that is that they were uh, skilled at forging metal. 
their weaponry was superior and they had chariots but because of the location because of the geography because they were in this valley they their chariots were essentially useless that they actually had didn't have the upper hand in this battle and if they were to attack they probably understood that the israelites had the advantage in this specific battle i think it's important for us to set a little bit of context at why goliath calls for honor battle why goliath asks for a one-on-one battle to, to decide who was going to win that specific time so where we find ourselves first samuel chapter 17 we're going to start in verse 4 it says then a champion named goliath from gath came out from the philistine camp he was nine feet nine inches tall i'm going to stop here uh, depending on what translation you're reading, there's different things that it said here. This is the CSB, um, so nine foot, nine inches tall. Um, some some translations would say four cubits in a foot. Some translations might say six cubits in a foot. Um, if you look up uh, estimations on how tall Goliath was, um, I found things anywhere from about six foot nine to over 11 feet tall. So nine foot nine kind of falls a little bit in the middle there. Um, what's important to understand is that at the time, uh, the Israelite men, the average Israelite men was probably somewhere between the, the, the height of five, five and five, seven. So even, even at the smallest, um, estimation of Goliath's height, he's six, nine verse five, five or five, seven. So over a foot taller, um, or if he's nine foot, nine inches tall, almost twice as tall. So. Nine foot nine inches tall, wore a bronze helmet and bronze scale armor that weighed 125 pounds. There was a bronze armor on his shins, and a bronze javelin was slung between his shoulders. His spear shaft was like a weaver's beam, and the iron point of his spear weighed 15 pounds. In addition, a shield bearer was walking in front of him. He stood and shouted to the Israelite battle formations, Why do you come out to line up in battle formation? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose one of your men and have them come down against me. If he wins in a fight against me and kills me, we will be your servants. But if I win against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. Then the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel today. Send me a man so you can fight one another. When Saul and all Israel heard these words from the Philistines, they were they lost their courage and were terrified. The first point this week is fear is a giant. Fear is a giant. One of the things that we have to realize in our lives is fear is often a primary culprit in why we do the things we do or why we do not do the things that we are called to do. Fear can motivate us in some circumstances, but it can often incapacitate us. The Israelites' fear of Goliath was a natural human response. Like the dude was huge, was carrying 150 pounds or more of equipment and weapons and armor, all these things. It was a human response to be intimidated and to be fearful. See, the problem with Saul and the problem with the Israelites was that they were responding out of their humanity, not their trust in God. That God had showed up time and time again for the nation of Israel, not only to deliver them from Egypt, but but to for them to establish the nation that they currently had, like this kingship that Saul had. Like it, they were a people, they had been established, they were no longer exiles, they were no longer wandering, they were a nation God had showed up, and yet they were focused on the man in front of them that was intimidating instead of the God who had delivered them time and time again. I think for us, it's important to establish a foundation of focusing on Jesus, not our circumstances. I don't know about you, but I often find myself focusing on the height and the depth and the width of my circumstance instead of the height and the depth and the width of the love of God, the provision of God, the servant heart 
of God. I focus on the circumstance, not on the God who can absolutely, without question, deliver me from the circumstance. But what we have to understand, what you and I have to understand, is that fear is not God. Jesus is. Personally, Saul probably had an extra dose of fear because of this, that that as the man who was, as Scripture puts it, a head and a half taller than the rest of the Israelite men, he would be the natural person that they would send out to fight Goliath. If they send out their biggest baddest, we better send out our biggest baddest. But Saul was afraid. And Saul was afraid of the expectations that he perceived that other people had of him. He was rooted in fear because he was worried about others' expectations of him. And instead of finding out what God's expectations of him were and acting out in those, instead he was frozen because of what he perceived to be the expectations of other people. And that could have been the men in his army. That could have been the men in the army across the valley. Like, whatever it may be, expectations caused him to freeze. And I've been there. I'm sure that you have too. We get obsessed about what the world around us expects of us or sees in us. And it can absolutely consume us. Maybe, just maybe, we should pause and have a conversation and figure out what his expectations of us are instead of the perceived expectations of the people around us. I think that we have to get back to focusing on God, not the giants in front of us, whatever those may be. And I don't want to minimize the circumstances in your life. You're listening to this, and you could be going through it. And I know there are dozens and dozens and dozens of stories of battles that are being fought in your own personal life with family, with friends, vocationally, school, spiritually like whatever it may be and i do i do not want to minimize those things i i swear to you i do not but i can say this no matter no matter what you are going through god is bigger god is bigger god is capable god is stronger god is sufficient So would we be people who focus on that truth, that God is bigger than the giant that is standing in front of me every day, every circumstance, no matter what. God is bigger. Next, I want to look um, at the passage, at a passage out of this, um, a smaller passage out of this passage that that seems a little bit insignificant unless you know the context. It's uh, verses 13 through 15. It says, Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war, and their names were Eliab, the firstborn, Abinadab, the next, and Shema, the third, and David was the youngest. The three oldest had followed Saul, but David kept going back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock in Bethlehem. Growing up, when I heard the story, I knew that David was a faith-filled young man without fear, but I didn't really fully understand why. I knew that he loved God, but I was like, man, he just has this faith, and he just he just shows up and and does his thing, and so this kind of BA, like, I, I love David, but I don't know where it's rooted. Well, the reason that David was going back and forth between Saul and the flock was that in the previous chapter, what happens is that Saul is actually afflicted. It's this really interesting story where God, Saul is afflicted by some spirit, and he can only uh, find peace when someone comes and plays music. Well, David's an incredible musician. He, he gets invited to the court of Saul. He gets to sit in the court of Saul and play music. But before that, what's really important is in chapter 16, David's anointed as the next king of Israel. That the prophet Samuel anoints David through the word of the Lord to be the next king of Israel. So there's got to be a lot of um, courage and a lot of strength 
and a lot of confidence that comes from the fact that you have been anointed the next king of Israel. And then you are asked to come and spend time in the court of the current king. Like there, there are things that are lining up and we're going to come back to this. But, but I think it's important that we understand that what happened in chapter 16 will have a significant impact in the story of David as he faced Goliath. So Goliath comes out 40 days in a row challenging them. David brings brother his brother's supplies from home. And then we find this in verses 22 through 24. It says, David left his supplies in the care of the quartermaster and ran to the battle line. When he arrived, he asked his brothers how they were. While he was speaking with them, suddenly the champion named Goliath, the Philistine from Gath, came forward from the Philistine battle line and shouted his usual words, which David heard. When all the Israelite men saw Goliath, they retreated from him terrified. And then verse 26 says, David spoke to the men who were standing with him. What will be done for the man who kills that Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Remember that David is still human and David has been anointed king and he is wondering when that is going to happen so that's a human response but then there's a holy response just who is this uncircumcised philistine sick burn that he should defy the armies of the living god that he should defy the armies of the living god that's huge that's huge that is a statement that david makes that it is it is full of strength and is full of confidence. The men hear that. They are amazed by it. Saul, it gets back to Saul. What happens is really interesting is that um, one of David's brothers actually gets angry at him for saying this and calls him arrogant. And that might have something to do with, you know, the fact that he was passed over to be anointed as the next king of Israel. That's probably it for another sermon. But there, there's this human response that is happening in here. So they call for Saul or Saul calls for David. David's like, I'll fight him. I'll fight him. I'll go out there. I'll defeat him. And Saul's like, no, dude, you're way too young. And David answered Saul in verses 34 through 37. Your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it, struck it down, and I rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine, again, will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God, again. Then David said, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. The next point this week is that David's confidence came from God's provision and God's promises. The reason that David had all of that faith, the reason that David was willing to step up was all rooted in the fact that God had showed up for him already time and time and time again. And God had also made promises to him and was fulfilling those promises as they spoke. David was anointed. That was a promise of God. David had been given opportunity to sit in the court of Saul. David had been delivered from the lion and the bear. Why wouldn't he be delivered from this simple Philistine? Trials aren't desirable. David probably didn't love getting attacked by bears and lions, but trials are necessary. And if we leverage them, trials will prepare us for the future. We have to be people who are willing to look back at our lives and see how God has showed up. Sometimes that's hard to see when we're in the middle of the circumstance. But if we can get out of the circumstance and look back on it three months from now, three years from now, 30 years from now, whatever it may be, we can look back and say, man, that was really difficult. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have chosen to be in that circumstance, but I grew in it. I learned from it. I became better because of it. We have to have confidence that where we have been or where we are right now will greatly serve where we are going. Where you are right now will greatly serve where you are going. What you have gone through will greatly serve 
where you are going. If you decide to partner with Jesus and leverage the situations, leverage the experiences to be the person that God has called you to be. Verses 38 through 40, they go on to say this. Then Saul had his own military clothes put on David. He put a bronze helmet on David's head and had put him and put him on, put on armor. David strapped his sword on over his military clothes and tried to walk, but he was not used to them. I can't walk in these, David said to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off. Instead, he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in the pouch in his shepherd's bag. Then with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. So the next point is this. Be you. Just be you. Too often we try to operate in the giftings and abilities of someone else. God didn't call David to be Saul. God called David to be David. God is not asking you or me to step into our life circumstances as someone else, but as the best version of ourselves. We have to understand that God is not calling us to be somebody else. He's just calling us to be us. The challenge for all of us is taking the time to figure out what that actually means. Who has God called us to be? David spent a ton of time tending a flock by himself. I mean, maybe he spoke to sheep. I doubt he spent very much time speaking to sheep. I'm guessing he did a lot of introspection, and I'm guessing he had a lot of conversations with God. There's something significant that happens when we take the time to actually assess who God is calling us to be and how God has delivered us. So when David was delivered by the lion, from the lion or from the bear, that he paused and thanked God for providing protection, for fulfilling his promise. That is something that we need to do better. The question is, are we willing to spend time figuring out who we are? Because if we do, then we can operate in what God has called us to do, not try to be who someone else is called to be. So David approaches Goliath. Goliath is obviously offended that this this young man without armor is coming to face the greatest warrior in Philistine history. And in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 45 through 47, this this is what happens. This is the interaction. David says to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel. You have defied him. Today the Lord will hand you over to me. Today I will strike you down, remove your head, and give the corpses of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the wild creatures of the earth. David might have been young, but he could trash talk. <laughs> then all the world, then all the world will know that Israel has a God. And this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's. He will hand you over to us. David then defeats Goliath. He, he slings the stone and hits Goliath in the forehead. The kid's story usually ends right about there, that, that the stone is what, what kills Goliath and it's just over. But what actually happens is that it knocks, his, it knocks him unconscious. David cuts off his head to kill him. That's pretty left out, left out most of the time. Then the Philistine army flees because the Israelites are emboldened by what just happened in front of them and they start to give chase. This is the last point this week. Faithfulness spurs faith. David, operating in who God had called him to be, spurred the nation of Israel to be who they were called to be. When we decide to truly become who God has called us to be, others will see that and be encouraged to do the same. Goliath and the Philistines understood that the nation of Israel could win a battle together, so they tried to defeat one person. And I think it's important that we understand this is that Satan, our real enemy, wants to get us alone and tear us down because he knows the fact that we are stronger 
together. Yes, there will be moments when somebody has a David moment and they step up for the community, but this wasn't for the glory of David. This is for the nation of Israel, and it was in the calling of God. I mean, the greatest story ever told was about one person, right? The person of Jesus being who he was, doing what he did. But the moral of the story is about who he did it for. That Jesus did not just die on the cross to prove that he was God. Jesus died on the cross to forgive the sins of the world. That his So his children would understand how loved they are. So that even when we operate in our giftings on sometimes an individual level, would we understand that it is always for the good of the kingdom. It is never for our own glory. But what we need to understand is that our faithfulness, our faith, will often spur others. And your faith will often spur my faith. And that this is just a beautiful thing about being in community is that sometimes we are running on empty in the faith department and we see somebody else with great faith and it spurs us to faith. That is what being in family is all about. So this week, how can we be faithful? How can we spur each other towards faith? What are ways that we can step into who God is calling us to be, not who he's calling somebody else to be? And can we be people who focus on the provision and the promises of God, not the circumstances in front of us? Thank you for listening to the FC Young Adult Podcast. If you are in the Billings area, we would love to see you at our in-person gatherings on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. If you're unable to attend in person, there are always ways to engage online. Follow along through Instagram at faithchapel.ya or find our ministry page at faithchapel.cc. You are loved.